Welcome to 10 Conversations for 10 Years, a series of discussions to celebrate 10 years of applying quality improvement to all that we do at East London NHS Foundation Trust in service of delivering our mission to improve the quality of life for the people we serve. Through these discussions, uh, we'll be sharing lessons uh, that we've learned over the last decade, as well as looking ahead to see what the next 10 years might hold in the field of healthcare improvement. We are focusing on the topic of infrastructure for improvement. My name is Amar. I'm the Chief Quality Officer at East London Foundation Trust, and I'm joined by Pedro Delgado, Vice President at the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, who've been strategic partners to ELFT for the duration of our improvement journey. Hi, Pedro, and welcome. Hi, Amar, and thanks. Uh, hi, everybody. I'm Pedro Delgado, Vice President at the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, and uh, it's exciting to be with you for this third episode, and it's exciting to be joined by very special people who have been part of this journey, some from the very start, others uh, more recently. And nevertheless, just a, a wealth of uh, knowledge and wisdom and humility in uh, what they have done and what they bring to this, uh, to this conversation. Uh, and we're excited to, to address today the topic of infrastructure. I know Amar will, will compliment, but we, we know and have espoused for years in this pursuit of whole systems quality and uh, embedding improvement across organizations. The formula, there's no perfect formulas for anything in life, uh, but uh, the formula of uh, structure plus processes equals outcomes and uh, perhaps even structure plus processes plus culture equals outcomes. So for the infrastructure conversation today, uh, we want to reflect on where things started, uh, what have some of the lessons been and, uh, and perhaps even where we are and where things are going. Thanks, Pedro. And I'm uh, delighted to be joined today by three guests uh, who've been part of the journey at East London for the last decade. Um, Oz Chitewe, Catherine Britton and Tim Gill, thank you so much for joining us today. I wonder whether we could start off um, by just exploring a little bit about what we actually mean when we use the words infrastructure or improvement. It feels like a really technical, structural thing. Uh, what do we, Oz, do you want to perhaps start us off and help us understand what we mean by this and why, why we think it's important in this work. So usually when we talk about the infrastructure uh, for improvement, it's, it's the support structures um, you know, that exist that we create uh, to nurture and enable um, a system to improve at scale. Um, as, as we've been doing this work and speaking to others who are on different parts of the journey, it's something we all focus on. What do we need to have in place to enable people in the system to improve the system, uh, not just at a service level, but at scale. Uh, it includes things like, you know, how we motivate people and, um, you know, unleash their own agency to do this work, how we build skills around doing improvement work, um, how we enable people to find time for improvement and just creating the right support structures around teams and around individuals to do this work, whether it's staff, service users at all levels of an organization, including partners in the places where people receive and deliver services, and then really trying to align all of that to everyday work and the priorities of the leadership. Thanks, Oz. Uh, Catherine, do you want to help us understand a little bit about what sorts of things we should be thinking about if we were 
looking to design the right kind of infrastructure to enable what Oz was just describing, what sorts of components might there be to that? To really help us build that culture and environment to enable improvement that, that can be owned um, locally and by, by people who are affected by the issues is really, really important. And there's an element of uh, thinking about the, the capability of, of people. Are, they able to, are we able to offer them and provide them with the, the basic skills to enable them to, to be part of an improvement effort? And also, uh, I think there's a, there's a very strong component around leadership and the support for enabling the capacity of um, staff and involving our service users to, to build this environment where people can get directly involved in improving what matters to them. Um, the leadership component, I think, is, is really about identifying, you know, those those people locally that, that are keen and willing to do that and, and providing that permission and that support and what they need to, to get involved with, with what's required. Um, and then there's a the practical issues as well around, do we have a place to come and share the work that we, that we, that we do? Do we have opportunities for people to get, to get together? Do they actually have um, protected time to enable them to actually spend time on um, on working towards what's what needs to be improved within their areas so that they're directly involved? Does that resonate, Pedro, with what you see around the world? Uh, Catherine talking about the skills people need, but also ways to make sure people with lived experience, the, the end users, the patients, the family members have a way to also contribute and be part of the improvement effort and some spaces where people can come together and learn and share and connect. I mean, how does that resonate with what you see around the world when people are designing systems for in, to support improvement at scale? The first part of, of that, Amar and Catherine, resonates hugely. Uh, the second uh, is probably one of the unique characteristics of ELF in relation to truly involving and partnering with service users. I, I don't think if we took a kind of cross-sectional set of conversations with organizations that are trying to embed improvement that you'd find as a commonality or as part of normal practice to engage and partner with service users in the way that you all have with the level of intentionality uh, that you have from developing their improvement skills so that they're not just passive participants of improvement efforts and they're engaged, but uh, also including the kind of activation of their voice, their agency, and their kind of equal participation on improvement work and even developing their skills to, uh, to lead projects. So I think that's pretty unique about uh, ELF and it, it triggers a question for me around uh, why uh, perhaps since we kind of see a number of systems across the world and don't see this as common practice, why? what makes ELF different? What drove you to, to engage service users in the way that you have on these improvement efforts? Well, I think it's, it's simply, Pedro, because if you aren't involving the people that are closest to the issues, you're, it's, it's futile. It's, it's a waste of time. How, how would you get the information? How would you be able to um, 
would you be able to work together to enable to to make any improvements if we're not involving the people who are directly uh, affected by by the issues that we have they have the most authentic voice they are we're so lucky else we we've created an infrastructure to enable service users to be able to to work with us and uh, and we support staff as part of these training offerings that we have at else we support staff to to help them to understand why it's important and how they practically can do that. So the service user voice is so important in making sure we're getting it right, that we're making adjustments, and we're actually focusing on things that really matter to them, that's the core of what they care about, and aligning that with our, our strategic priorities as well. They're, they're, they're perfectly complemented because our service users want exactly the same thing as us: high-quality care at the right time when they when they need it, and and in an environment that's that's safe and, and demonstrates equity as well for them. So, so we are uh, we're it's, it is a wonderful space to work in that we have this combination of improvement and people participation working together to enable improvement within our environment. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> I was reading an article a couple of weeks ago that said that um, within the next couple of decades, I think one in four or one in five people will work for the NHS, at least at least in the UK. Um, and I think that's, that's how quality improvement is different in healthcare uh, compared to other industries. Because the same services that we work in and we're trying to improve are the same services we ourselves use. Um, so I, I think it's it's actually thinking ahead and actually being able to focus on engaging service users from the outset because we ourselves are, are users of services and have a perspective. Um, so I think it's great that we're, you know, we're able to put that front and center in the work that we do to, to partner with the people who, who use our services, who interact with them, um, and you know who come to us uh, wanting better outcomes for themselves and working together towards that. Thanks, Thanks Catherine. Tim, I wonder whether you might be able to give us a little bit of insight about how our, the infrastructure that ELFT has developed has changed over time. A lot of people might be listening to this and wondering, well, we don't have a great infrastructure, so how, how are we supposed to do this work? Because surely a lot of that takes capacity and people to build and to support. Um, but actually, you know, you, know you, were, you were there right at the beginning when we began this journey and, and it was literally me and you that, I mean, there was no other infrastructure for this. So what have you seen over time about the way in which we've developed and adapted our infrastructure? Yeah, thanks. Um, I guess going back to the key term infrastructure it is about building structures and, and building anything takes, takes some, some time and it takes commitment and planning and it doesn't happen overnight. So, I think that's something I've I've been I've been part of. I guess it's recognizing we've had what we might call infrastructure for improvement formally for ten years, but we are building upon foundations and structures that already existed within ELF, such as people participation, and there were improvement improvement leaders in 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 the organisation that were able to to use use their stories to inspire others to to build further foundations and, and structure to the work we're doing. So. I think, like as we we did ourselves and would advise anyone else, you've got to you've got to start somewhere um, fairly small, kind of build build a bit of confidence and and faith around and what you're trying to achieve and bring people with you, um, and just just um, it, just try evolve evolve as you go really and, and um, gain confidence and um, 
bring more people bring more people to the work so you know thinking back over the 10 years it literally has been waves of waves of improvement as we call it with people being more and more people being trained and that kind of adds as momentum um to what we're, what we're trying to do thanks tim i i one of the things i, I remember we we had a realization about you know maybe a year into beginning this work was that no matter how big or skilled a central team could be and obviously we had a very small team at that stage you know it, it was unlikely to be enough or close enough to the work to really be helpful for teams and so so we we the design that we went with was one where people had really close access to skilled improvement support um, and and that was the birth of the improvement coaching program and the system of coaching, which means that you don't have to reach very far for someone who you know in your local area who can and support you with this work. I, I just wonder, Oz, whether you might help us see the, what, what's the what's the utility of having that kind of system? Um, you know, because it, it is it is different to having just thinking about infrastructure as just being a corporate or central body of people with expertise. Well, how important is having a distributed network of support? like we have for people participation. I think one thing we, we learned very quickly was people were keen to do improvement work. Um, the amount of people who are attending the training, the number of projects that we're starting, um, we, we quickly saw that people were keen to improve their services and having a method and an approach that we use across the organization was really helpful. You know, it, it was an enabler uh, for people. Um, so what, what we knew was for people to do improvement work, they needed uh, a team. Um, but that team would need some kind of wraparound support around it. Um, and, you know, this has this has evolved over time. But what we've learned is you need a core project team, you know, a few people from uh, you know, the, the, the service or the area where improvement is trying to happen, uh, which includes people who understand the system really well, people who use the system, maybe as service users or patients or, or carers. Um, but also having you know someone senior enough who can champion the work, but also who can help them to test out new innovative ways of working and give them the permission to do that. Um, alongside that, they also need some kind of infrastructure within the areas where they work. We, we call these QI forums. So based on the directorate where you work, which are usually uh, divided by geography or by speciality, a place where people come together and share uh, the improvement work that they're doing and coordinate some of that improvement work as well within those directorates. A place where you can talk about improvement work and get ideas and get advice uh, and, and tell stories about how the improvement work is going. The other things around this 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 team, the wraparound support included, as you mentioned, Amar, having an improvement coach. Uh, because when we started off, we only have, you know, we only had two to three improvement advisors who are in the central team. Uh, and working across, you know, 11 to 13 directories, we realized that you couldn't have just a, that small number of people supporting each and every project. Um, so building this, this, this community of improvement coaches, uh, people who are trained in improvement, but also who are trained to the level where they can support others doing improvement, where they can support two to three projects within their directories. You know, this really helps teams doing improvements to have um, some specialist support around them um, to help them navigate uh, their improvement journey. 
And of course, right at the heart of this is the support from, from service users and from the central team. But we also saw the need to have resources that people could access at any given time. Um, so that's, that's how our QI website, we, we call it the QI microsite, was born. This was new for, for us, particularly at, at Elft, because instead of sitting behind a wall on an intranet, it was publicly available, which meant that as a team were working on the improvement work, anything that they'd learned in class, if at the point where they wanted to apply it to the improvement work, they could just go on the microsite and get a quick refresher, get some tools, get some templates to allow them to do that. So that infrastructure has been has been really important uh, to enable teams to do really meaningful improvement work. It makes me makes me think about John John Cotter and what he wrote about innovation uh, and almost needing a second operating system. Uh, healthcare's got really great and strong command and control structures, hierarchical you know, pyramidal structures for cascading information up and down, but. What you're suggesting is that, you know, for teams that are really trying to test new ideas and innovating, they, they might need something different, which has that wraparound support. That's really interesting. I just want to, Pedro, you want to, you want to come in with some thoughts and questions? The three things that I think you've highlighted are people. So the centralized team, the distributed teams across directors and so on. Uh, number And the partnership with service users. Number two is skills. So what kind of skills people uh, acquire uh, and you can start to generate fluency and a common language and so on. Number three is what you called resources also. And the website being one of them, the microsite, which, which was both internal and externally was open to the world. And in that sense, uh, I think in the beauty of the NHS that we all love, free at the point of care, from cradle to grave and so on, we have a challenge that we face continuously, which is bureaucracy. In a 1.4 million people organization, inevitably, you have to have some mechanisms of bureaucracy to assess requests and so on. And I remember, Tim, uh, when you got the microsite started, it was rather agile in the way that you did it. Uh, and it was rather reasonable in terms of the costings, and it was rather let's get it up and running as opposed to wait for a year until we get every piece of paper signed. So can you reflect briefly on some of that agility, why and how it came about? Well, I guess it was a bit of a project and it's, yeah, it was PDSA in action, wasn't it? Just uh, starting small and iterating. Um, but yeah, just speaking personally, yeah, coming from having a little bit of experience with websites, um, I knew that it was very achievable to build a, a simple website quite easily. And I think, um, Talking about bureaucracy, um, I guess what we were trying to do was a bit a bit different, and we might we maybe noticed a few barriers potentially from the comms team and the different um, sort of different hoops that might need to be jumped through to to go through a typical process. So we just thought, let's just start small um, with a with a, a web page that just uh, introduced QI to the organisation, and and I think the key term for me, lots of stuff we're talking about is in the things being accessible, the infrastructure being accessible, and I think. Oz's point and we were very deliberate about this website couldn't be an intranet page that was locked away somewhere that only staff could see and only when they were on a trust connected computer and not bit not out and about you know we're working in more of an agile way these days than we were 10 years ago but people need information at their fingertips and uh, so yeah just using a website um, design from WordPress sort of 
um, enable websites to be customized in a variety of different formats um, and therefore accessible um, to all beyond Elft as well, because um, I think we, again, we recognize that by being more public and transparent and inclusive with what we were doing, we we're likely to bring interest and like-minded people to, to, to QI and to, to Elft. And then gradually as the work um, evolved, we were able to include uh, more stories and en engage our organization. And it, it grew and grew and grew and uh, very, very proud to, it became quite, you know, and still is a sort of world accessed on a, on a, and by others around the world really. Um, and so, yeah, it's lovely to be involved in it. I think that's, that's really quite a humble way of describing it, Tim. I think if you remember when, when, when we initially thought about a website, the communications team said it would take six months and 20,000 pounds and you build it in four weeks for 300 pounds. Um, and you know, it surpasses the number of views that our trust website gets in. I think there's, there's some, a message in there that if you, if we want to improve, we've got to have the freedom to do things differently and faster. Uh, not necessarily better, but we've got to be able to move and learn faster and more in a more agile way. You, you mentioned the word stories. It's come up quite a lot. And I, I just wondered, Pedro, whether we could spend a minute thinking about what infrastructure you need to really get connected with the impact of this work and be able to tell that, because that feels like it's been an important part of the focus around building an infrastructure. Catherine, do you want to say a little bit about how, how has that developed over time? The the story storytelling has been a, a real journey, and of course, you know the most the the, the people who, who do this best are our service users and our staff who are directly affected. And we have um, as as a as the department, we have enabled people to be able to to share those stories. And I would just like to say, with regard to the microsite, those stories. Uh, engaged me in my role in South Africa, where I worked in a low resource setting that had no resources. So those stories were engaging to enable me to be able to utilize the resources that we have for anybody um, globally. So it's it's really important. And, and we, we also really help teams think about how they celebrate their work, because the only way to really influence further improvement is for people to understand and hear successful stories. And what I mean by success is, is, is stories that demonstrate learning. So not, not specifically results-based, we've, we've achieved this, but actually what was the learning throughout these stories? So it's a hugely important vehicle in order to, to share the work that's going on around the trust, not only with the trust, but with our partners. And of course, to me previously, globally. I have a question again, going back to the stories uh, and the memories and the the word agility and the freedom to to build and do. One of the tensions that people doing this work face or encounter, and it's a tension within our hearts, I think, in terms of leadership, and it's a tension within the bureaucracy of organizations and the hierarchical organizational chart of organizations is the tension between centralized support and distributed support. So there is a tendency for us to want to maybe keep power uh, and there's an opportunity for us to share power and there's an opportunity for us to cede power. And I sense that in the transition over the years from, you know, let's say Richard Amar and James having been trained as improvement advisors with the chief medical officer being a senior sponsor and the CEO being quite uh, supportive, uh, things wouldn't have gone 
much farther uh, with just three people and a supportive leadership structure. In a way, the choice of decentralizing it and distributing the, the power, the resources, the wraparound support that Catherine and also alluded to, I think has been a really important feature of ELFT. So the centralized support is almost a, 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 a layer over the layer that is more local. So people have accessibility, which is something that Tim alluded to. Uh, can can you reflect briefly on on kind of what drove you to decentralize the infrastructure? Because that's again not the case everywhere. In some organizations, there's a tendency to keep it central. So we'll provide the support from a central office, and that has its limitations. So decentralizing is a choice, but it is a choice. So some people choose to take it, and some people. Don't. Can you reflect on, on kind of why decentralizing made sense for you and why it continues to make sense at this stage? We also learned this lesson very early on um, <clears throat> because when we started our improvement program, um, the advice we got from the IHI you know, right at the start of our journey was pick a few really important areas to focus your initial improvement work on so you, you, know, you build that degree of belief in improvement work. And uh, we we took what we what we know to be the elf way, which is uh, we took the advice but uh, did something slightly different with it. So the first few training programs that we ran, you know, we provided the training, but we said to people, you know, apply improvement to what matters most to you. So there was no direction to say, you no, know, here are the areas to focus in on. What was really interesting was the themes that people decided to work on were the things that were really important to the organization. Um, and I'm glad we learned that lesson very early on in our journey because it's been reinforced over time, which is actually when people come to work at ALFS, when people receive services in ALFS and they want to participate in improving them, they're going to focus on the things that are really important. And that's, that's what's important to the board and to, and to anyone else in the organization. I remember, I think I was on wave two of, of, of our initial UI training at Alft. Um, and I remember colleagues on that program were applying the method to, to themselves, uh, you know, to their own healthcare and their well-being, uh, things like that. But once they knew how to apply the method, the next project that they focused on was more complex, um, something that was, you know, that needed to bring a team around it, something that really mattered to the service that they were in. So it's always having that long-term view that if we if we create the enablers, people are going to focus on, on what matters most. Um, and we had a campaign as well very early on, which was the, the breaking the rules campaign. Part of it was, you know, how do we release time for people to focus on improvement, but also what things get in the way. So I think little things like that really help people to see that across the organization, across the leadership at all levels, there's a real intent and transparency to say, work on what matters and you'll get the support that you need to do that. Thanks, Oz. I really enjoy that quote. And I think it really demonstrates Elf's journey really well. You know, the, the common term of we had a, a thousand flowers blooming and there was just work going on all over the place. And now and now we take a more cultivated tulip approach. So now it's, it's much more strategic and it's, we've got these fields of tulips of these, these sort of well, um, well-defined and, and supported um, improvement pieces of work that are going on that, of course, when that infrastructure is around work, then it's much more likely to succeed. And um, and it's, it's I, I thought it was a really nice analogy of where we've come from and where we're, we're going to. 
the other thing I, I reflect on as well is that question we ask people when they come into the trust. So the minute they come into health, and part of their induction is you have two jobs. You have your current job and the other job is to improve the area that you have. So that message they hear very quickly. And we also invite them to think about what does quality improvement mean to you? And we're very clear that it's not a department. It's within them. It's an intrinsic way of being. It's, it's a mindset. And, um, and coming to ELFT, um, it was mentioned earlier, that, that common language. And I think we do that particularly well. Certainly the best I've ever experienced in my career, where we're really, we really think about how we, how we demonstrate and how we support improvement. And it's consistent and it's a common, easy, simple language. Um, and I've really appreciated that, Elf, the model for improvement, those wonderful questions. So simple, so easy, PDSA cycle, really easy as well for people to understand and apply. Previously, we were looking at, it was taking over 200 days for people to come into the trust to actually experience quality improvement training. And now we, we actually are enabling that within the first three months of people coming into Elf. So very quickly, they're getting the message that you can be involved in improvement, you can do it locally, and you will have the, the skills to enable you to do that. It's really, really empowering for people, I think. I, I think it's been a wonderful exploration of the, the topic of infrastructure. Thank, thank you, Oz, Catherine, and Tim, so much for um, sharing some of your reflections and your learnings with Pedro and I. I think what I'm taking away, Pedro, I'll be interested in your, your takeaway messages. One, one is, I think your conceptualization of really thinking about people, you know, what, 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 how do we activate the intrinsic motivation of people and give them the agency they need to be able to make change happen? That's a really important component here. Storytelling is critical, but so is the wraparound support that teams have. Something about the skills people need. And it's still the case that most people come into the healthcare workforce without the skills they need to improve the system. And so we have to build that. And then I think resources you've talked about is, you know, what's available to us to help us. And we've talked about the digital data systems, the learning systems, life QI, but also the spaces and the knowledge that we can gain from different places. I think that's a really nice way to sort of conceptualize the infrastructure. I, I, I'm taking away two key points, one about accessibility, make, making sure whatever you design is easy to access uh, because people don't have time to go searching and we don't want to put barriers in the way for improvement. And, and I think the other thing I'm hearing is the, the way in which this has developed has been based on what we've learned works and doesn't work. So really staying close to the, to, to the where the work is happening and understanding what's working and what's not working and adapting to it over time. Because I don't think we would have been able to design or even describe 10 years ago what we have now. It's, it's evolved. Are there your, your takeaway thoughts from, from this conversation? Yeah, I think you've summarized it brilliantly, Amar. My takeaway is mostly about the, the human side of things. And I would say the demeanor of Catherine, Oz, and Tim are characteristic of the ongoing learning that is part of the DNA at uh, ELFT in improvement and in everything that you do as an organization. And I think that's an important message in the context of infrastructure, whereas the technicality of training people of having the website and so on is important. I think the demeanor of curiosity, of humility, and of having a learning spirit is as important. And without those two complementing each other, the technical stuff and the human side of curiosity, humility, and continuous learning, uh, we are doomed to be less successful than, we, than what we could be. So that's what I'm taking away. I've really enjoyed 
the conversation and I've really gotten a strong sense of the spirit within which you walk into your work uh, every day. So thank you for, for the time that you, you give every day to uh, making a difference hand in hand with service users and, and others across Elf. So a big thank you, Tim, Oz, Catherine, for joining us for 10 Conversations for 10 Years. And I hope you've enjoyed listening and watching and look forward to seeing you at the next episode. Thanks, everyone.